Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella. Hi, Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast listeners. My name is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. We're honored to have John Jordan with us to talk about his experience as an arts entrepreneur. John is known for his textured and carved hollow wooden vessels. His works have received numerous awards and are in the permanent collections of the museums, including the Renwick Gallery of the Smithsonian, the High Museum of Art in Atlanta, and the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. You can read more about John and his vast experience on his website, which we'll link to in the show notes. John, great to have you here. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Let's start by having you tell the listeners your journey from woodturner to tool designer to teacher. Well, I, I got interested in wood. Uh, I had a real job once upon a time. I worked in the uh, computer industry working with bank equipment, ATMs, actually. I worked uh, for the first two ATM companies when they were uh, when ATMs were a new thing. It's hard to imagine now, I know. but uh, <laughs> So anyway, I, I worked in that business for 16 years and got interested in woodwork and started making furniture, thinking that one day I would like to do that. As I went along, I got interested in turning. I had a little lathe in my shop, and there weren't many people turning at the time, but I knew what the uh, contemporary turners were doing, and uh, I got kind of interested in that, and one thing led to another. Uh, I thought that, I, as I said, I wanted to be a furniture maker, and uh, I waited to be vested in the company I was working for, so I'd have a little bit of maybe retirement money at the end of my life, where I am now. And uh, so I kind of waited and waited. But anyway, ultimately, I ended up getting uh, being part of a company reorganization, and they laid me off and paid me for, I don't know, two or three months. And I had applied to my, my first craft show ever and had gotten in. And uh, that was coming up right at that, that time period, right after I got laid off and and so I went and did this craft show and had a had a had a reasonable success there sold some work and that as they say was that uh, I've never looked back and so you know it was a pretty significant uh, cut in salary uh, my wife Vicky and I had our had our first son who was about a year old and she was expect uh, well I guess she wasn't expecting quite yet but right after that we hit we had a second mm-hmm. but uh, that's so that's what I've done for almost 40 years now I put two kids through college and uh, it's been uh, an interesting life it's been lean and it's been good and uh, but I did uh, local craft shows the first year or two uh, and then uh, my work was good enough that I got in to a couple of the major craft shows uh, in the country, like the, the Smithsonian Craft Show at, at the Smithsonian uh, 
Museum and the Philadelphia Museum of Art Craft Show and a, a couple of these where they have thousands of applications and only take a hundred or or so people. Oh, so yeah. those were pretty good to me over the years. And as I did those kind of shows, I would meet the the kind of uh, collectors or buyers uh, and and galleries that that were kind of uh, you know commensurate with my my work right you know and and so of the, the the same level and so i met a lot of a lot of good gallery owners and some museum people and they supported my work and and so uh, you know that the, the shows and things like that were good but it did it, times were pretty flush when i started this the the craft uh, the craft world was really good the the high end shows were really good and uh, so it was. I won't say certainly. It was certainly not easy mm-hmm. to sell, mm-hmm. but there was a there was a market there for us, and um, and so that was really good to me. And like I said, got me into mm-hmm. different galleries. And so every year there were two or three uh, major gallery shows I was part of, and things like that. But yeah. all all along during that, uh, I, I I taught. I started uh, okay. early on. I started teaching at a at a relatively uh, close school here called Appalachian Center for Craft mm-hmm. in Smithville, Tennessee, and and uh, I would do weekend classes there first, and then over the years I would do uh, one or two week long summer c- classes. But I got where I taught all over the country. In fact, all over the world, mm-hmm. and I've been to ten countries teaching and and. Uh, I've been to every state. I don't think I've taught in quite every state, but very nearly yeah. uh, every state. Uh, lots of them, multiple times. Yeah. I'll I'll go. <clears throat> I take trips to like the West Coast, and I'll go out and stay six or seven weeks, and uh, oh, wow. you know travel up and down California or or Washington and and Oregon and sure like that. Yeah. So really, so after you were laid off at the ATM. Uh, company, yep. you went into this, and at what point did you realize that you could pursue wood turning full time? Was it then, or did it come a little bit later? Because you never went back to another industry, correct? No, that no, that's correct. No, I I decided right then uh, that first show, like I said, which was right after I got laid off, that I had enough success in that uh, that I figured I'd be able to do this. And I, I don't remember the exact sequence, but I'd yeah. applied to more. So, sure. so during that following year, I, I was in some other, like I said, local or regional craft shows yeah. and, uh, sold enough. And, and, uh, I got involved, uh, uh, with, with the wood turner. We have, a, a an American association of wood turners and I got involved in that. And, and so I was around people and, and so I met collectors, and it just it, a lot of things were going on at that time, yeah, uh, which gave me some success. And, and that de- that decision was that just like a kind of a math problem in your head, like okay, I need to make X amount of dollars, and this show is successful, so if I can keep doing that, then this thing could be sustainable. Well, I, I'm I'm sure that was considered a lot <laughs> at the time, and I, yeah. I know probably my my wife was uncomfortable with sure. it, but. Uh, but the, the the real motivation was that that the the real job was 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 killing me. It, yeah. I just 
I had gotten, and it's not the work itself, but the the pressure of being, uh, you know, everything was a crisis sure. and, and, and that, that sort of thing. Like yeah. I said, actually working with the machines and stuff is kind of fun, but, <laughs> but, the, but the people in the situations were awful. Sure. And, and yeah. like many, many, uh, I suspect, craftspeople, sure. uh, you know, have come from a real job and, and had a lot of that. So yeah. that was the motivation. Okay. I just I, I couldn't face uh, doing more of that. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. yeah, and, and they, of course, I was pretty driven at the time. Sure, uh, I was excited about making what was, I was good at it. You yeah, know? and yeah. Uh, I, liked I, I liked what I was making, and, making and, it, and that people wouldn't would actually pay for those pay things. For those things uh, you know, encourage me. So it made the decision pretty easy. Sure, that makes sense. Uh, so when you're starting a new project, what are you what are you thinking about when you approach it? Um, are you thinking about the like aesthetics behind it, the design behind it, or are you thinking more about the functional value of it? How do you how do you approach it, uh, a new project? Well, my my work is not in in any real way functional. You know, it's okay. purely they're they're purely de- decorative right. objects uh, whose whose function is to hopefully make you feel good when you see it. You know, or interact with it right. but I tend to work in uh, my work's very recognizable mm-hmm. uh, any, anyone that's familiar with with the sorts of things that that, that I'm involved in you know uh, almost immediately would know that, that it's something that I'd made so so a lot of those c- considerations I guess are already made sure. uh, and, and, and so I'm going to be working in now I may be doing something new but it's still going to be grounded in in the in the kind of work that precedes it, so, sure. So it did. I guess my considerations are more, uh, you know, do do I am I trying to meet a deadline or do I have a specific thing or uh, occasionally something is is kind of a a commission or maybe a loose commission, you know, mm-hmm. and somebody's expressed interest in a certain kind of piece or something. Okay. So, uh, but you know, sometimes but not so much these days. But I might have deadlines. Uh, I might have a show coming up, so I'm trying to produce uh, a body of work. You know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to make a dozen or fifteen pieces or something, and you know that's month that's months of work. Sure. And so all of those things are the consideration. You know, sure. um, maybe I've got three or four pieces in this particular wood, kind or kind of in this sort of style, and I would like to have a little bigger or a little smaller or different woods or uh, a slightly different style or different surface textures, different sure. carving. Yeah. So I want several pieces usually that, that reflect one another, and then they all have to kind of be cohesive as well. Right, you know? right. Yeah. Different, different, but still fit within the, the, the larger body of work. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sense. those are the kind of the considerations when I'm, when I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. Sure. Andy and I always talk about portfolio careers, and you seem to participate in a variety of aspects in the value chain, from creating art and then designing tools to create art, teaching people how to turn, etc. Did those come about simultaneously or consecutively by recognizing opportunity to expand? Well, that's a good question. The In, in some ways, they're, they're sort of different aspects of wealth. Clearly, they're different, but they're not always as related as they might seem. Right. The the making and selling of my work is 
is to some degree separate from the tool making and the teaching because the the work that I make and, and sell is is geared toward people who who collect uh, you know objects, uh, art, craft, however however you want to say it. It's it's not typically bought by somebody just because they like the look of a piece and they just want to stick it here. Sometimes, but and so that's a little different than than me teaching because a lot of the teaching that I do are is to hobby turners and you know retired guys and things like that uh, certainly some young people who are interested in pursuing uh you know the craft like as as I did mm-hmm. uh and then the tool making is kind of uh auxiliary to the uh to the teaching uh I got started making tools because there really weren't good tools available to uh, do what I was trying to teach. Yeah. And so I sort of uh, got into the, to the tool making for that reason because I, I needed them to teach. Yeah. And following up on that a little bit, um, can you talk about how you got into selling or endorsing? Uh, well, So you, you design and you make the tools, correct? That's correct. Okay. And then you also have a, a lathe that you endorse or um, on, that, on your website. Can you talk about how you got into that? Well, the, the, the tools themselves, again, we didn't have the uh, tools available when I teach a class. We, were, we would try to modify and, yeah. and, and, and do different things to, to make tools work so that the, you know, we had something for the students to use. And so, so I sort of reluctantly got into the tool making. When I was, uh, went to high school, I actually had quite a, a, a lot of machine shop, and so I was competent and Gotcha. And without getting into all all of my interest in life, I was uh, I'm an old motorcycle guy, and so I was familiar with making things in metal and, sure. and being a machinist and and stuff. And so I had the background to do the tools. Yeah, uh, the teaching came along uh, early on. As I said, I started teaching at, at Appalachian Center for Craft here. Uh, it was probably in the first year that I I really uh, you know had had started being a full-time wood turner. Yeah. And so I always taught and and I I often say that I I taught in lieu of making a production item. Uh, a lot of craftspeople that that do uh, that that make their living doing craft shows and and gal and selling through galleries and stuff have a production item, you know, a potter might make mugs. Right. Or, or uh, another wood friend of mine made wooden letter openers, and right. and they don't always love it. You know, they get they get tired of it, mm-hmm. and uh, I I get a little bit bored with things, and and so I like having the teaching sort yeah. of as a as a somewhat steady, yeah. reliable income yeah. uh, for when the craft shows didn't go so well, or or they were pretty far apart, sure. and so there was not much cash flow that way. And are you so? Are you making? Are you still making all the tools yourself? I do, and I do. I, I, and uh, wow. the tool business is very good. Yeah, and and so, uh, but particularly through the pandemic, sure, right? Uh, people were people home continue stuff. to pursue their yep, yep, yep. I'm kind of the the sourdough bread of <laughs> of, of of wood turning, you know. And yeah, going back to your teaching, I would assume that having to think about how to explain and teach someone at various skill levels, novice or another expert, 
it causes you to think differently about what you're doing in application when you're working. Do you think that's the case or no? Yeah, yeah, 100%. They, they're, uh, and and I, I talk about that sometimes uh, as well. There, it, it would be very difficult for someone to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to these days because I've heard all of those from the student, you know, thousands of students over over several decades, you, you you hear a lot of things, and it does. It makes you think. You know, a, a lot of us, if we're just left to uh, to work, we we don't think about uh, a lot of the things we do. These these things they're they're just sort of intuitive, and so you go from this to doing that to to doing this to going over here and doing that and this, and and they say, well, why did you do that? Well, I said, well, I don't do that. Well, I'm sure you do. We've stood here and watched you. Right. And, you, you know, and then so you go through the motions. You go, oh, you're right. I do that. So, yeah. uh, you, you know, you have to, so all of those kind of things I've kind of found out over over the years. But, yes, it was a huge help. Yeah. It was a huge help. Yeah. And, and I always enjoyed that, that aspect of, of teaching people. Yeah. yeah. So, John, I really enjoyed looking at the gallery page on your site and was very impressed with the beauty of your work. How do you price your work? Well, always, always a tricky, tricky thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say to people that are starting, just a, a, good, a, a sort of a sound uh, practice is you, you know, you, you have to figure what it, what it, it costs, you know, if you have material costs. Uh, and we could talk about that in a bit, but uh, yeah. And then, and then you need some sort of labor rate to, you know, if it takes you two hours to make it, you know, about what is a fair labor rate, and mm-hmm. you arrive at, at a at a price which I would consider a wholesale price, and then you should basically double that. That would, you know, if you're starting out, and uh, when you when you've gotten to where I am. And uh, then, you know, your name becomes part of what they're paying for. Right. And so the, mm-hmm. the prices are, uh, you know, my, my work's relatively expensive these days. And it's, it's comparable to, to other craftspeople who do uh, a similar quality of work that, that's desirable in the collector market. So, you know, there's sort of a, uh, it'd be difficult to describe this sure. without you know, going more into depth, but it's based a lot on your name and your reputation and your, mm-hmm. you know, your resume, your museum collections and and so forth. Yep. So if I wanted to buy one of those vessels on your site, say I was going to buy it for a friend of mine, say I'm going to buy Sean a, uh, a vessel. Yeah, well, you get the brother-in-law discount. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. so what do you what do you think that would, what do you think, just ballpark? Well, my, my piece is, my piece is Go from several hundred uh, to several thousand. Sure. Uh, so, just between us, I don't like Sean that much. Do yeah, you have any miniatures or scratch and dents? <laughs> well, I, t- I tell people that I can find something for anybody if they really want a piece. I've, over the years, Perfect. I've I've made a lot of you know yeah. for for uh, uh, for people. I've made a lot of deals and yeah. 
Yeah, so well, I, I was just kidding around, but the, the, your work is just stunning. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful, and we're well, going to link to the website well, so that people you. can actually see. You're, well, you're certainly welcome. I, I remember I haven't done craft shows in yeah. oh gosh, probably ten years now. But I remember <laughs> a, a craft show, and, and similar things have happened several times. But there was a, a craft show in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where there was a young couple that came in. They were they were probably I, I doubt they were thirty yet, and. Yeah. Uh, they, they, I had a piece they were so excited about, and and they 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 didn't have any money, you know. You could tell that that they were, you know, young working people, and uh, I don't remember what we did, but I told them just to pay me when they could, you know, send me a check here wow. and there. It didn't even have to be the first of the month, you know. Yeah. And they were just so excited to have that piece, and I can't remember. I probably gave them a deal as well, you know. Yeah. And that's that's just those kind of things are really enjoyable sales you know and so you know i i I can't afford to collect a lot of my work so i understand when people (laughs) when people want something sure and uh it might be a little out of reach i'll I'll try to accommodate them somehow yeah this concludes part one of our interview with john jordan join us next week for part two thanks for listening if you like this podcast please subscribe Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast. Mm-hmm.